0: What's up, everybody? We're live with the Osmo awesome FanDuel Strategy Show, the Week 10 Edition. I am your host, Matt Gajeski. I am here with Kyle Dvorak. You can follow me on Twitter at Matt underscore Gojewski. You can follow him at Kyle Tweets here. Before we get started, make sure to hit that thumbs up button, subscribe to the channel, and hit that notification bell so you know when this and all other content goes live. Kyle, how are we doing this morning? I feel myself scrambling a little bit as we get injury news piling in for the day. And we actually have a lot to monitor, so I'm trying to figure out, especially with these running backs, who's in, who's out. And first and foremost, we already know one of the most important pieces of news: Christian McCaffrey's out. First of all, how are you doing, and how does this change the slate for you?
1: I'm doing all right. My coffee feels a bit overextracted. I feel like the grind was a bit too fine for just a simple French press. So if you see my drink, if you see me drinking the coffee, and I feel like uh, you know, you look at me and you say, "Why does he look sad?" That's why, you know, I didn't I didn't do a good job with it. In terms of the football stuff, though, uh, yeah, lots of injuries. Big injury or big injury. Big ownership update we got just before the show. So it was a mad dash to get updates. But that means we have right now, like, up to the minute, essentially, ownership projections. So although it does put, uh, you know, some work on us getting ready right before the show, it gives, I believe it would give the people kind of the most up-to-date version of the content we can give them. So more work for us, but I hope it pays off the people in the long run. Yeah, man, we're ready. And, of course, this is the... FanDuel specific show.
0: So everything in relation to FanDuel this week in particular, I think across sites, we are going to be dealing with a very interesting slate. So this is going to be a position by position breakdown. But before we get started, I want to talk just general layout of this slate and mainly some strategy with the Christian McCaffrey news in the latest ownership update. It also ruled out David Johnson, making Duke Johnson particularly valuable across just
1: FanDuel specifically. How does this affect the slate for you? So I don't mind, like, we'll talk about this a lot. I don't mind eating chalk, even heavy chalk, if it is warranted. Like, if I believe there is, like, there is not no chance, but a very good chance that Mike Davis or Duke Johnson or on a different slate, you know, project this forward for slates that we're not talking about right now. If I think there is an extremely good chance that X player is going to be in the optimal lineup or help me win tournaments, I'm fine with eating the chalk. It just simply means that I have to look at my lineup as a whole and figure out how I want to get different. And I think the strange thing is that, there are a lot of good plays on the slate, I believe. Obviously, at running back, it seems like we've kind of condensed on, you know, your Duke Johnson, Mike Davis type of plays. But at receiver and on your quarterback stacks, I think there are a lot of very intriguing and viable plays. But the ownership sort of dictates that they're like the ownership would tell me that there's only one or two good plays. So I kind of think that's where I diverge. I think the running back chalk probably warranted. Do I think some of the receiver chalk is necessary? Do you have to pair? Is there only one good game to stack? No, I don't think so. So I think I'm fine with the running back chalk. And the way I get different is really going off the board with my stacks, even though I don't feel like they should be off the board. Yeah, so something we
0: typically see with these 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 weeks where we have value running backs, and it parallels the Giovanni Bernard, Jamal Williams week to an extent. In cash in particular, there were only a couple lineups that most of the Sharps are running across contests. Same DraftKings, Fandle, you saw it everywhere. And I think this week could be very similar to that. As far as ownership goes and what we do with some of these cheap RBs, we'll, of course, get into that specifically to FanDuel in a bit. But I think eating some of this chalk specifically in low-risk contests makes a lot of sense. And even in high-risk contests, going back to that week where we, had, where we saw Jamal Williams and Giovanni Bernard come in with cheap prices, they were lower owned than I expected. Like, we're talking 30% or so, and then Osmo, I mean, you came up with a fantastic stat, so I'll let you take it away, what Osmo and some other sharps did in some of the large field
1: tournaments that week. Yeah, so I'll try to remember all the names off the top of the head, but as far as I remember, it was Osimo, Uticao, Brick, RBX, uh, Osimo, you guys guys get the point. Drew Drew Dinkmeyer all went at least about 10%. I think maybe like 9 point something percent, but all of them went at a minimum 10% above the field on Jamal Williams. And this was actually on the Maker in DraftKings, but I I think the philosophy would still likely apply on FanDuel is that all of the sharpest of the sharp players entering the highest, you know, the highest payout tournaments, building 150 lineups decided that, you know, like I said, DraftKings Millie Maker versus FanDuel, I, th- I think the rules are quite similar in terms of how you view the locked in chalk, at least how they did that slate. And like you said, it parallels this one slate quite nicely. They all went 10 plus percent over the field on Jamal Williams. And I would not be surprised to see a lot of the sharp players do the exact same thing this week. Like I was talking about, take the, take the free money, take the good Mike Davis chalk. It's, it looks like it'll be good chalk and move on and get different elsewhere all right with that we'll dive into quarterback we'll of course get into the specifics
0: with davis duke johnson and everyone else at the running back position but kicking this off with the qb spot we have three quarterbacks coming in above ten percent two are exceedingly owned in kyler murray and josh allen obviously that is because we've had value open up and then behind those three there's no other quarterback above 5.2%. So, Kyler Murray coming in, neither about a quarter of the field is going to be rostering Kyler Murray, according to the latest update, about a fifth on Josh Allen. Aaron Rodgers, he comes in at 11.7. My first
1: question is can you just play these guys at this elevated ownership? i think you could you could play them i think you could probably do just about anything on an individual level play do i think you can play chalky kyler murray sure do i think you have to get wildly unique and potentially i think at that point if you're playing kyler murray and you're playing deandre Hopkins with him, and then you look across and you're like well i'm just going to stack him with stefan Diggs, you can probably find the salary to do that but the way you find the salary is you play mike davis and duke johnson so i think you have a choice to make do you take the free running back chalk which is obviously they project to be incredibly good plays Or do you take the Kyler Murray slash Josh Allen? I'm not going to lump Aaron Rodgers. And I think his ownership is, you know, almost it's 8% or so, maybe 7% below Josh Allen. I'm going to stick to the top two. Do you play Josh Allen or Kyler Murray, or do you play Duke Johnson slash Mike Davis? I find it very difficult to believe you can do both. And in my opinion, I think the chalk is more warranted on the running back specifically. So I'm probably coming in under the field on the Murray Allen game, you know, the Buffalo versus Arizona and going above the field on the running backs. I think you could do the other side too, because Kyler Murray versus Josh Allen expects to have a ton of points. That is definitely a matchup you want to have exposure to but do you want to have exposure to it in the same lineup where you also have the chalkiest running backs? In my opinion, no, that is simply an untenable build in large field tournaments. I'm with you. And this is specific to large field tournaments. If you're playing cash,
0: low risk contest, small field, obviously these are going to be your premier plays. I mean, this game is a 56 and a half point total. These two teams along with the Packers, I think that's why we see Rogers coming in with such high ownership. They're the teams with the three highest implied team totals on the Slater. At least, you know, they're among the, the top teams. I know, Arizona specifically in Green Bay they are the top two teams with implied team totals right now now specifically to this game do the math in your head you're playing an expensive Kyler Murray DeAndre Hopkins stack you're probably running it back with either John Brown or Stefan Diggs you had the two chalky RBs well how many people are going to have that build with you same thing goes with the Buffalo side if you're stacking Josh Allen Diggs and then running back Hopkins I mean With me, I think we are just going to run into so much overlap there that I'm willing to get to other games. I mean, looking at the totals on the board, we have Seattle, L.A. That one has a 55 and a half point total. There's there's plenty of games above that 50 point threshold. So I think I'm with you on just taking some leverage in some other spots. And you mentioned even a guy like Aaron Rodgers coming in nearly eight percent less owned than some of those expensive quarterbacks at the top. I think that's a fantastic leverage position. And I mean, if you want to get even a little bit crazier, Deshaun Watson's our fourth most owned quarterback, and he's just five percent. What like leverage
1: well, is everywhere. I completely agree. I think for me, kind of the the theme of this slate will be hoping that Kyler Murray versus Josh Allen doesn't go absolutely berserk, or even like we saw last week. Actually, it was uh, what was it? Josh Allen versus Russell Wilson. Both quarterbacks. I think Russell Wilson came up close to thirty, and uh, Josh Allen had a monstrous game. But the touchdowns didn't go where you would have predicted them to go. Like, Tyler Lockett was the chalk of the Seattle side, you know, partly because of his price, partly because of a supposed, like, bad cornerback match for DK Metcalf. That didn't matter you had to play metcalf and russell wilson stack so a lot of the wilson stacks died not because they were outright bad plays just because there's a lot of variance in an individual slate so i think you have multiple outs to the kyler murray josh allen stacks failing one the game could be just not great it could just go under generally the running backs they could end up coming in where zach moss gets a decent amount of red zone work the team the, the arizona cardinals could get Kenyon drake back or the touchdowns could just not go where we expect them to go and while the quarterbacks produce well the stacks don't hit so i think Anytime we see, like, we're going to have, what is this, 30, 43, almost 44% of lineups playing some variation of Buffalo versus Arizona. I'm going to just lop that game off. I think, honestly, that that game might just be one that you completely X out outside of, like, potentially running back leverage plays. Because, like I said, 44% of the field playing one specific game, is it that much better than a game that you talked about that I love? You know, Russell Wilson versus Jared Goff in a game with the 55 and a half point total? No, I don't think it is that much better. Is it better? Absolutely. I think it is a better game to target than you factor in ownership. And I do not believe that. So I'd rather go to Watson, Rogers, Wilson, even some deeper plays like, like a golf potentially or a Teddy Bridgewater in another matchup with the solid total. I think you sacrifice a decent amount of points, both on your like actual projection of quarterback and points in the actual game by going to Teddy Bridgewater in a you know tougher matchup, less points to be scored. I think you more than make it up in the ownership department, which is just so much ownership on Kyler Murray and Josh Allen right now. I'm with
0: you. And I want to point out one other thing with the FanDuel specific slate. All five of the top owned quarterbacks are above 8K. So one way I think you can potentially gain some leverage inadvertently is playing a cheaper quarterback. I mean, there's good quarterbacks that you even mentioned just now. In cheaper spots. Jared Goff at 7,400 on FanDuel. If you want to stack him with a semi-affordable Cooper Cup or Robert Woods, both of them aren't even in that upper echelon of pricing tier wide receiver, you're still accessing a game with a high total. You're leaving some salary on the table at quarterback that you can allocate to a different position. Maybe it's tight end in Waller. Maybe it's a different stud receiver, or maybe you're playing two expensive running backs and you fade one of the chalk eyes in tournaments. And just something to consider, is that
1: something you would consider doing? It doesn't have to be with Goff, but maybe another signal caller. Yeah, I think that is perfect. I know last week, this was on on DraftKings, but it's about roster construction. It actually has nothing to do with scoring. It was of the top eight quarterbacks, all of them were like 7K plus guys, I believe, or maybe like 6.5K plus, except for Drew Locke. And all of them had expensive receivers to sack, except for Drew Locke. So simply by playing Drew Locke, and in this case, I like it, you insert Jared Goff, you insert Teddy Bridgewater, any of the cheap guys... You necessarily got such a unique roster construction that you didn't even have to focus on making really weird contrarian pivots. Your lineup naturally led you to making those pivots by playing the one of the like he was the only popular, even modestly popular quarterback who wasn't super expensive. And we had the exact same dynamic going over on FanDuel this week. And I don't think you're playing a bad play by going down to a Teddy Bridgewater or Jared Goff. You're not making this weird pivot. You're simply taking a different approach to building a roster, and it will be wildly different because of how much chalk we're seeing on the cheap running backs, the expensive quarterbacks, and their expensive receivers. So I think you can make great lineups that will just necessarily, by the way you built them, be different, and they don't sacrifice in points. You just spend in different varieties. I love that we keep talking about
0: Jared Goff. There seems to be some love for him in the chat, too. I just want to point. Yeah, I mean, I think some people are a little scared of Jared Goff because the Rams have been extremely run-heavy this year. And you and I have been pointing out all week at this point, the Rams aren't a run-heavy team. They're a hypersensitive team to game script. This year, they've been winning a lot of games, which has allowed them to run. Seattle is a very different opponent from a lot of the teams they've faced. This is going to be a more competitive shootout-style game, more than likely. Now, when the Rams have been trailing, last year in particular, Jared Goff, he tied for the league lead in past attempts. Last week, Jared Goff threw the ball 60 times. If they get down in this game, Jared Goff is going to have a voluminous role. So I think you can absolutely push some of these signal callers at the top of the slate. I think outside of that, I, one thing I will point out with this slate, just because of the value we have, I don't see a ton of merit in getting to some of the bad quarterbacks like Baker Mayfield or, or Drew Locke specifically. So they'll be fades for me. You guys kind of know the, the avenues I'm talking about.
1: Do you see any merit to getting to any of those guys? No, it's because, like you said, there is so much leverage on moving outside of the top two or arguably like we have three quarterbacks over 11 percent and then one over five. And he's just over five. Deshaun Watson. Every every play that is not Aaron Rodgers, Josh Allen and Kyler Murray is a high leverage play because you just didn't roster one of the only three chalk quarterbacks and one of you know the two incredibly chalk quarterbacks. So do I think you gain a ton on the field by going, you know, let's scroll down here, uh, you know, 7500 Carson Wentz at one percent. I think you're totally fine eating the extra three percent ownership to go to jared goff or the extra almost four percent ownership to get to bridgewater the same thing with watson another four or so percent it's like at a certain point you get diminishing returns on the leverage you're building by going from a far worse play and like baker mayfield's a perfect example in my opinion going from a far worse play in the exact same price of teddy bridgewater to baker mayfield I think one of these quarterbacks is more likely to have a blow-up game, and you don't have to pay that much more ownership. So you get diminishing returns on how much leverage you're building. It's just like, why am I, you're at that point, you're basically just playing a 1% play for the sake of playing a 1%. 4% is still far lower than a 24% Kyler Murray, and I don't feel the need to just get these off-the-wall plays when I can already fade so much chalk just by going down to still an awesome Russell Wilson or still a sick Deshaun Watson play.
0: I'm with you. It's kind of a crazy slate. I can't remember one being like this at all this year. Even the Jamal Williams, Giovanni Bernard slate. I don't remember ownership being this condensed, especially at quarterback. But guys, as we talk about ownership throughout the show here, you can access this. A weekly pass for Osmo Plus, just $29.95. It includes full access to all the premium content and tools on Osmo.com, including player projections, ownership projections, our premium Slack channel, and much more. If you're only looking to play NFL, you can also sign up for a weekly package for fourteen ninety five, or give the NFL Express Weekly Pass a shot for three ninety five. Again, all those tools are in there. Even the, the Slack is such a great, useful tool. I hang out in there all the time, specifically in college football. If you guys are in the weeds with some very questionable MAC games, that's where I like to hang out. But I know Kyle. All of our everyone's in there. It's a fantastic resource, so check that out. Running back. This is. The very difficult position we need to analyze, and we talked a little bit about it at the beginning, Mike Davis, coming in near 50% ownership, and right after, or right before our show started, we get the ownership update, Duke Johnson comes in north of 25%. On FanDuel specifically, both of these running backs are egregiously cheap, and it, this is a little bit of hyperbole, but it kind of lets you play whoever you want what do we do at the top of the running back position? I think you mentioned it at the beginning, eating some of this chalk seems like
1: a profitable strategy. Yeah. I think the reason I feel even more confident in eating the Mike Davis, like even like Mike Davis is is so incredibly high up. We're looking at nearly half the field playing him. But the reason I feel confident in playing Mike Davis is because I, I really don't plan on playing Kyler Murray or Josh Allen. I think it's fine to eat some chalk. Like I talked about at the top, it's fine to eat some chalk. If you're finding ways to get unique elsewhere and the field seems to think that if I play Mike Davis and I play Duke Johnson, I get to 100% lock in my Kyler Murray and my Josh Allen lamps or at least 50%. Actually, I think the number of like the Josh Allen plus Kyler Murray ownership is very similar to the exact number of ownership on Mike Davis, which obviously makes a ton of sense. So I think for me, it's a one or the other. You don't, I don't think you can play both frankly, you don't have to fade both of them. It's about picking and choosing the spots that you choose to fade. I'm going with the quarterback. So for that reason, I feel comfortable going with the running backs. I can still see merit to saying I only want to play one of Mike Davis or Duke Johnson in a lineup. I think it's okay to play both, though, specifically if you're not playing the chalk quarterbacks. Do you think there's a do you think there's a reason to at least say you should maybe only play one, though? I think that is an argument I would be more comfortable fielding.
0: Yeah, in tournaments specifically, I think you can do this. I think it makes... Well, actually, you know what? It makes pretty good sense on both sides. If you just want to talk about, like, matchups overall, Carolina's in an extremely difficult run matchup. There's paths to Mike Davis failing. He's very cheap, so I don't think those paths are, are very likely to occur. And then on Houston, I mean, Cleveland has a pretty good run defense themselves. They're top 10 in the NFL in that metric. We never really wanted to play David Johnson when he was active. He was kind of, you know, just a a volume play in most weeks. (laughs) There's certainly paths to these guys. And I mean, in both offenses, I think you can gain leverage directly through their offense Deshaun Watson stacks to cooks fuller Carolina stacks with Bridgewater, DJ Moore, Robbie Anderson. Again, we're talking about the largest of field tournaments here. If you're playing small field, anything like cash, they're near locks to me. So I, that's kind of how I'm approaching it at this point in the week. It'll be a large field conversation, but
1: I think you can. Any any qualms with that, Kyle? No, and actually, as you said, it, it completely just dawned on me that two of my favorite leverage plays at quarterback, which, like we said, they're all leverage plays, were these guys' quarterbacks, Mike Davis's quarterback and Duke Johnson's quarterback. So I think in those lineups specifically, I would probably look to going with – you know, a Deshaun Watson plus Mike Davis stack and leave Duke Johnson out of the field. And at that point I can just play all the rest of the chalk because I have faded one of the chalky running backs. I have faded both of the chalky, I mean, all three of the chalky quarterbacks essentially. And I can take the the easy plays at wide receiver, knowing that I am very highly leveraged at one of my running back spots and at my quarterback wide receiver stack spot. So for that reason, I actually think it, it lays out perfectly to where in large field tournaments, going with one of the chalk running backs. I think my preferred move would be play Mike Davis. I think he's just a slightly better, and maybe even a significantly better play than Duke Johnson, and then go with the Sean Watson stacks. I think that's probably my optimal tournament build, but I think flipping it to Teddy Bridgewater plus Duke Johnson makes just as much sense, and it gives you a ton of leverage over the field.
0: I agree with you. I think it's a great way to remain semi-contrarian, but still play some good plays and some yeah. high-dollar plays that we like. Because we have Mike Davis and Duke Johnson coming in so high on, it also affords us the salary to reach Alvin Kamara, who is our third highest on running back right now. He's nearly the same ownership percentage at this point in the week as Duke Johnson. It seems the field is preferring him over players like Aaron Jones, who comes in about 10% less, give or take. Kamara's is a fantastic player regardless of matchup due to his receiving upside. So I can't fault anyone just for playing Kamara on talent and volume alone. I think again, we're talking, He's going to be heavily owned. Do you make the pivot down to Aaron Jones? Who's just 200 less on FanDuel, but again, nearly 10% less owned. I think that's a conversation worth having, given that Aaron Jones is facing Jacksonville, bad defense overall. They're two touchdown favorites. What are we doing with the expensive backs, knowing
1: that we're going to be able to jam them pretty easily? I think if I had to choose one for me, even though like Alvin Kamara at almost the same price as Aaron Jones, or essentially the same price for all intents and purposes, I would still take Aaron Jones. I think he's probably a slight disc or a slight like downgrade in points per dollar, but you're getting a reasonable ownership downgrade. And Aaron Jones also provides pretty solid leverage off of the number two receiver on the slate in terms of ownership, Devontae Adams, who's also quite expensive. So I think when you're looking at Aaron Jones versus Devontae Adams, given that they are both pretty high priced there is unlikely it's not impossible there's unlikely to be enough touchdowns and enough yardage to go around where both of these guys really have smash games meaning that if you know Aaron Jones goes for two or three touchdowns Devontae Adams unlikely to pay off his incredible price and ownership to the point where you have to have him to win tournaments so I think not only does Jones provide a decent amount of leverage off of Kamara being about the same price but lower owned he also provides a decent, decent amount of leverage off of Devontae Adams who has been incredible but also touchdowns make up so much of his fantasy points. And because he's, you know, this is FanDuel, you don't get all of those PPR points. Touchdowns are crucial to building a tournament winning lineup. Aaron Jones could easily come in and steal those touchdowns. They're just such a random statistic that anyone could score them. It could absolutely be Jones as, you know, essentially a three down back. So I take Jones over Kamara in terms of building tournament leverage. Do I think Kamara is the, the running back you should be playing in cash and all of your low stakes? Probably. I agree with that. I think it
0: makes a lot of sense. Guys, before we we keep going, hit that thumbs up button. It is the best way to support Kyle, myself, Jordan, behind the scenes, everyone here at Awesome, that is the best way. Hit that subscribe button too if you haven't done so. We recently crested 40,000 subscribers and we're trying to push for 50 by the end of the year or so, so help us get there. Again, easy way to support the channel and everything we're doing over here. And we appreciate you very much if you've already done so. Kyle, I got to ask you, we talked about Aaron Jones. Let's talk leverage. It's a very difficult thing to do right now, I think partially because of injury news. Nick Chubb, he's practicing this week. He's been on injured reserve, got hurt in week four. If he comes back, I think he'll continue to split time with Kareem Hunt. It obviously takes Kareem Hunt out of play at least a little bit. He becomes just more volatile. Kenyon Drake practiced. That would potentially hurt a a Chase Edmonds leverage play in that really chalky game we talked about. David Johnson, it looks like he's trending the wrong direction, opening up Duke Johnson. And Joe Mixon, of course, was still limited in practice following the team's buy. I don't think a lot of people expected that. If Mixon comes back, he is 2.2% and he's a bell cow in his offense. I don't think Giovanni Bernard factors in too much there. As far as low owned leverage plays, that's kind of the type of player I really look at. Just these bell cows, maybe they're underdogs. They still receive significant workload. Maybe they've just performed poorly recently. And that was exactly why I wanted to target Chase Edmonds. Who are you looking at for
1: some leverage here at running back? Yeah, Chase Edmonds would be a pretty pretty awesome leverage play if he does get the backfield to himself, but it looks like we're getting a Kenyon Drake uh, return, so not a ton of interest in either back because of that. I think you've kind of nailed it, though, with looking for these bell cow backs who are, you know, I think coming off of injury is kind of a significant one where we saw Christian McCaffrey coming off of injury go well under-owned relative to, we know, his upside. The same thing with Dalvin Cook in his first game back from injury, and both of those guys, like, the process works, so it's easy to point them out, but I think Joe Mixon could be the next evolution of that or Miles Sanders. I think both these guys are essentially the same back. Like, do they have a running back behind them who could steal some pass-catching work, Giovanni Bernard, Boston Scott? Sure. But especially, like, when you look at Joe Mixon, his team passes enough that even splitting work, just being the 1A receiving back to Giovanni Bernard mixing in on some third downs, it's more than enough because he's getting... Maybe a more modest share of the receiving pie than a Miles Sanders, but the pie is larger, so he gets to eat a little bit more. So Joe Mixon, if he's healthy, I think it's 7K, is a bit of an underprice. I get the matchup is difficult, but, you know, around 2% ownership, I think you're fine running into a difficult matchup. And if not, Miles Sanders, who does seem almost certain to play this week, uh, you know, the Giants defense is not one that scares me. Philly should beat them. I believe they have a slight fate. They're slightly favored by Vegas, 7,700 is not is not nothing but i think in the same price range as josh jacobs i would take a miles sanders as a favorite in that game 10 times out of 10 over josh jacobs because we know they have very similar rushing roles but one of them miles sanders has a better receiving role so i think at less than five percent ownership miles sanders and joe mixon are the exact archetype of the leverage you described three down backs who just don't seem to be getting the ownership for a variety of reasons both guys returning from injury but i think you could also argue like the spots might not be as good as some people like i don't care that much if their lowered ownership.
0: Yeah, I agree with you in that spot too. Mixon specifically, a cow that stands out. There's some people talking about his injury in the chat. I, I'm a little suspicious of it too. Seeing him yeah, to come out with limited practice is a little worrisome. I think. In, in <clears throat> particular with him. Yeah, it's not great. <laughs> but as far as other leverage spots, one player in particular, I thought maybe we could look to in sort of that lower price range was Antonio Gibson. Seeing a pretty sizable workload it ends up you know, missing some time last week, not much, but mispractice yesterday comes back to a full practice. You don't feel good about playing a guy like Antonio Gibson just for pure leverage, but I mean, he's in a similar price range coming in a little more expensive than some of the plays we talked about. So if you're trying to mirror some roster construction and play someone in that same range, I think he could make some sense, but outside of, you know, some of the bell cows, I think it's just mainly players. I want to fade one player. We didn't hit on Josh Jacobs is fairly owned. I am worried about his injury and Devontae Booker mixing in for work there. So, I think it's more just picking and choosing from the chalkier RBs that we like and then mixing in a mix in. Is there anyone you're looking to fade?
1: Yeah, I think Josh Jacobs not only not having the solidified pass catching role, we saw last week Devontae Booker actually working in. Absolutely. That is a, a ter- totally fine reason to fade. I think on top of that, uh, Antonio Gibson coming back from the injury and wasn't even this three down back before Jaden McKissick steals the passing game work. And we saw, I believe it was like 20 carries a few weeks ago for Gibson. Even that was a mirage. The other two backs, Peyton Barber and McKissick combined for 15 carries. So I think he's like at best a one a as a runner and at best like a one beer or two as the pass catching back on a team that is on the road. And I don't believe they are favored versus Detroit. So it kind of sets up for just a bad game environment for Gibson. Regardless now he's coming off of injury. I know it's only, you know, 10 or 11% ownership for him, but that's ownership. I- I'm comfortable fading all day.
0: Yeah. I only mentioned him because he's more of your direct price point leverage than some of those other guys. He is nowhere near the safe play that we have in Mike Davis and Duke Johnson, but he's at least comparable in price, which is why I bring him up here. But I, I think that just about does it at the running back position. Again, again, we already know a couple guys that are out and that has significantly affected ownership so far. As far as leverage goes, I think waiting on the status of Nick Chubb, Kenyon Drake, and Joe Mixon could extremely be, you know, affect our decisions a lot. Even, you know, like a Chris Carson, if he is active for some reason, I know he hasn't practiced yet, but at 7,800 and another access point to just a very high total game, those things could change the dynamic of the slate even a little bit. Anything else you'd like
1: to add on RB? Yeah, I think uh, like DeAndre Swift may be an interesting one. He's basically the same like role as a maybe like less more pass catching, less running. But he's kind of the same role as Gibson, just on the other side of the ball as the home favored team. But again, it is this speculative speculative like price point leverage of a running back who's kind of just a committee back. He shouldn't see the work that Duke Johnson or Mike Davis sees. I think maybe he's just the guy you run if you play, you know, your Teddy Bridgewater stack and playing a, instead of playing Mike Davis and Duke Johnson. Maybe you play a Swift and a Duke Johnson, but he's just leverage, and his role doesn't look great. I would save him only for the largest tournaments. Yeah. I kind of view him similar to Antonio Gibbs, but he's yep. favored. So it makes, a,
0: makes sense there. But guys, the Masters is here. Celebrate the final golf major of the year with an Osmo Plus Platinum weekly pass for 50% off when you use promo code Augusta at checkout. That's one week of everything Osmo Plus has to offer for the price of an NFL weekly pass. This package includes full access to all Osmo awesome plus features, including player projections, ownership projections, our premium Slack channel lineup builder, and much more. This offer is valid through Friday, November 13th. Again, the promo code is Augusta. Moving to wide receiver, you're seeing parallels of every position. There's some mega chalk, and then there's some pretty easy leverage spots because everyone is going to the high price receivers in the fantastic matchups. So as we look at some of these pass catchers right away at wide receiver, I think, no surprise, Devontae Adams' most-owned player cresting 30%. Stephon Diggs right there with him, cresting 30%. Once we get below that, there's a bit of a drop. 24% is DeAndre Hopkins. He's our third most-owned wide receiver on the day. But you can clearly see the parallels between quarterbacks, running backs, receivers. Because of the values there, we have expensive pass catchers that are going to be heavily owned. With that said, man, Devontae Adams is a
1: good play. Yeah, I actually don't mind Devontae Adams nearly as much because I know that when I play Devontae Adams, I'm still getting off of the Stephon Diggs, DeAndre Hopkins, and then the correlated with their quarterback's chalk. So I think if there's one of the top receivers I am looking to go to, it would be Devontae Adams because his quarterback is lower owned and the receivers in, I don't even know the same price range, more of the same ownership range, are also going to be as highly owned, if not more highly owned. So for me, I see that if I play Stephon, like, let's say I think, oh, well, I don't want to stack buffalo versus arizona with a quarterback i just want to use it as one-offs if i play Stephon diggs all that means is that every time Stephon diggs scores i'm getting less points than most of the Stephon diggs lineups because with the josh allen ownership and the same thing with hopkins they're all getting 10 points per touchdown whereas i'm only getting six Devonte adams his quarterback being pretty pretty significantly less owned still chalky per se but significantly less owned than a kyler murray i don't guarantee that like all of these Devonte adams lineups are stacked with aaron Rodgers, so i don't mind playing him i think Diggs and Hopkins even kind of just get ruled out for me in terms of if I'm not playing their quarterbacks, I'm probably not playing those one-offs either. I think Adams kind of overrides that because quarterback isn't 25% owned. So I'm actually fine playing Adams, given that I'm already kind of just cementing myself in this take of not playing Buffalo, Arizona. Yeah,
0: I'm with you. It's interesting you talk about not playing Buffalo, Arizona, because John Brown comes in with top five ownership as well. Now, just because we have Mike Davis value doesn't mean you're going to have to just Not take value anywhere else. You probably don't have to go near the min price, but you are going to have to take some sort of value receivers. And in our top five for wide receiver, it's John Brown at 5,600. It's Robbie Anderson at 6,400. I think both of them are playing very clear roles in their offense. Robbie Anderson being the number one in Carolina, John Brown seemingly over his injury, nearly tops 100 yards last week. Of course, that was a crazy shootout but we're expecting to see another one here. So I think both of them make sense as value plays. Again, you're running into the same questions. Do you do you play Robbie Anderson by himself? I think probably not. I'm going to be approaching Robbie Anderson in stacks as leverage to Mike Davis, but you mentioned it. If you're if you're playing Robbie Anderson solo, you're going to be duplicated with a lot of the field at least at this point in the week. What do you make of Robbie Anderson and John Brown before we hit some low on leverage?
1: Yeah, I don't I think I'm a little more comfortable with playing Robbie Anderson solo just because I know, again, I think like, I'm not playing a lot of the other chalk. But I would say even if I, like, quote, play him solo, I'm probably still favoring a runback option with like a, you know, a Chris Godwin or Mike Evans or choose your, you know, choose your player on the box. But that's how I build most of my lineups. Like I rarely just take a single receiver and just say this is the guy because even in like if I've already cemented myself as I'm playing a Deshaun Watson stack in this hypothetical lineup we're building. If I play a Keenan Allen, I'm probably still looking to run it back with, you know, Devontae Parker, or like if Matt Breida played, I guess he would qualify too, or had we had Miles Gaskins, same thing. So most of my lineups, even when we move beyond my initial stack of like a, a double stack in the runback, I'm looking to build extra levels of correlation in because maybe we get Deshaun Watson in an absolute shootout. But Tampa Bay Carolina also features enough points that I want multiple pieces from it. So I'm trying to build in correlation. So when I say uncomfortable playing Robbie Anderson without Teddy Bridgewater, that doesn't mean I'm not correlating. It just means I'm comfortable playing him without the pure stack. I think Anderson is fine. John Brown, man, uh, just another instance of uh, there's not really much of a point in playing John Brown alone because so many of the John Brown lineups are scoring 10 points per John Brown touchdown because of his quarterback. So I think for me, we look at some of the differentiating spots like a Robbie Anderson, even a Keenan Allen. I think Justin Herbert is a fine play Keenan Allen, probably one of the few receivers I'm more comfortable playing alone because his volume could just be completely independent of the game script. It could just be, I mean, it has been, it has been 12.7 targets per game for Keenan Allen for moving his one, you know, back spasm game with Justin Herbert under center. So Allen kind of one of the few alpha receivers who doesn't play in a game is getting a ton of ownership for that reason. I think he's a comfortable and one of the only plays I'm actually comfortable with running solo.
0: Oh man, I, I love Keenan Allen in this spot. I think it's quietly a decent stackable game too. And yeah. let, Let's just use this to move into some leverage. If you want to talk that game specifically, it is a 48 and a half total. Neither defense is exactly wowed. Miami is stronger against the pass. I think that's partially just because teams have been able to run on Miami with ease. But Justin Herbert is throwing the ball everywhere. And Keenan Allen is one of the most targeted receivers in the NFL. He's always going to be a strong play and someone I consider when ownership is lower. I actually think that game is stackable too with LA quietly having some defensive problems. They were down a couple defensive backs last week and Miami has gotten themselves into some quiet shootouts recently. But as far as leverage goes, like my goodness, there are so many leverage plays on the slate, you know, like Tyler Lockett's ownership has come down. If you want to talk specific leverage in the games with the chalky RBs, like Brandon cooks, who seems to have moved ahead of Will Fuller's, the wide receiver one is coming in with sub 5% ownership. Where are your favorite leverage spots?
1: I mean, you named one of the best ones. We're talking about basically stacking any players that aren't in this Buffalo, Arizona game, and then also moving off of Devontae Adams because similarly he has the number three quarterback and he's the number two overall uh, ownership receiver. So Brandon Cooks right now is I believe he's actually ahead of Will Fuller and targets and like 51 air yards behind him. They're basically playing like very similar roles. And Brandon Cooks is still underpriced relative to Will Fuller, who I also like at 7,100 and less than 10% ownership. I think it is perfectly viable to double stack these guys because of the price on a Mike Davis. You can go to Watson, Will Fuller, Brandon Cooks. And I I think my my biggest question is who do you run it back with on the Cleveland side? I'll, I'll throw that one to you. Beyond that, though, on the other side of Seattle, like Seattle's defense, completely atrocious, despite that, you know, a 20 target game most recently, I believe, from Cooper Cup, only 7,700 when we've got guys on the slate that are over 9k receiver, I think just uh, stack the games that aren't, uh, you know, that stack the good games that aren't Buffalo, Arizona, all of the Seattle receivers are in play, both of the Los Angeles Rams receivers are in play. And I think the easiest double stack to make because of its price, Will Fuller, Brandon Cooks, and then Deshaun Watson.
0: Yeah, I'm with you. I think if you're running it back on Cleveland, you just probably have to use Jarvis Lantry at this point. Who knows how the backfield breaks down. If we have Nick Chubb sitting out, they just decide to give him an extra week's rest, which could happen. Kareem Hunt would come into play for me. I'm not really interested in some of the tertiary pass catchers there, but there's just so many spots. We talked about golf, like Woods comes in affordable cheap ownership, or excuse me, low ownership. Cooper cup, same thing. One of my favorites, Chris Godwin, My goodness, Chris Godwin at 2.5%. If you told me we were going to see this every single week, I would just load up on Chris Godwin. Part of the reason I think the ownership is low is the terrible game we just saw Tampa Bay play. Obviously, they get blown up by New Orleans. Stacks with Tom Brady to Chris Godwin are going to be extremely low-owned. Chris Godwin returns to his near full-time role that he was playing before the injury. 94% of snaps, ties for the team lead in targets. I don't know. I love that in that spot. You can use Mike Davis as your run back. You can use maybe if you want to go a little lower owned, gain some leverage, DJ more, Robbie Anderson. What do you make of that game stack?
1: Yeah, I think that is a, that is like the probably the number three game stack for me behind you know the Deshaun Watson side of Houston versus Cleveland, and either side, you you could argue either side of Jared Goff or Russell Wilson. That's probably my number three one, I would say, on the Robbie Anderson side of things. He's clearly the number one receiver. I think if I'm running a Tampa Bay stack. I'm almost always running it back with a Robbie Anderson on the Chris Godwin, Mike Evans, Antonio Brown side. It's quite difficult to really pull much from one, a game that like the last time we saw them get trounced by new Orleans, like you're not really projecting that to be the type of game they play anyway. So what data can you pull from that? Well, I did pull routes run and Chris Godwin ran a route on every single one of Tom Brady's dropbacks minus one. Mike Evans was only three routes behind him. And he did actually take a player two off, I believe after taking a shot to the groin. So Basically, you have a very solidified top two receivers, but we have seen when Mike Evans and Chris Godwin are healthy, at least this year, in an admittedly small sample, we've seen Mike Evans average like two targets per game up until their most recent game versus New Orleans when Chris Godwin is healthy. So I think we've got an established alpha in Chris Godwin, a very good number two in Mike Evans, and I guess a very good number three as well in Antonio Brown, but that's what he is on this offense. Basically, it's a small sample, but what we have to work with says Antonio Brown is probably the 3 and Chris Godwin, probably the one. So that's how I would prioritize them in my Tampa Bay stacks. I think you can viably play any of them, though.
0: I agree with you. And just looking at that game, I don't want to take away that Chris Godwin's this clear, de facto alpha pass catcher. More than I want to take away is that he's healthy. Like, Chris Godwin, yeah, yeah. He, he's going to be on the field. So I can feel confident playing him. If he gets there, great. Hopefully, I'm printing money. If he doesn't, well, at least I know my decision-making process was you know not flawed to begin with, with rostering an injured player. Now, one question I want to ask you looking at receiver. So we talked about this a little bit at, at quarterback. So say I'm playing a game like Pittsburgh or Cincinnati, and you know, all of these receivers are low-owned. I think you can jam in the chalk at running back and then play, you know, a low-owned stack. And it doesn't have to be this game, but I'm looking particularly at offenses that are fast and run a lot of plays and are in sneaky shootouts. Cincinnati, Pittsburgh offers that a little bit to me with Cincinnati running so many plays, passing the ball at an extremely high rate Pittsburgh's got a great defense sure but Joe Burrow has kind of walked his way into these 300 yard games through it's kind of the horizontal air rate a lot of pass attempts a lot of volume for his receivers and then of course we like some players on Pittsburgh what do you make of this approach two games I isolated specifically LA Chargers Miami Cincinnati Pittsburgh where we could see some quiet volume and I think that naturally will make you contrarian yeah, I
1: think the Chargers would be my favorite of all the games we just or all the sides of the two games you just mentioned, especially because we've got Mike Williams at under 6k and right around 1% owned. But in the broader roster construction sense, absolutely. If you're getting like no ownership on a guy like Juju, you're not getting ownership on Ben Roethlisberger or on the other side, you're not getting tons of roster ship rostership on rostership, roster ownership on Joe Burrow to Tyler Boyd you were absolutely fine just jamming in the chalk running backs because not only does it give you a ton of points, but you don't really care. You know, you're playing against, if your stack go off 1% of the field and you are probably, you know, if you're listening to the show and you're double stacking Joe Burrow with a run back, the most highly correlated of those lineups are in the 99th percentile of correlation among your 1% of Joe Burrow lineup. So I think once you look at playing the, the off the wall stacks like a Joe Burrow, which I think he's off the wall, but that's mostly based on the crazy ownership we're seeing. I don't think it's actually a bad play. The same thing with Justin Herbert to Mike Williams, for instance. I don't think they're bad plays. I think ownership is just getting overconfident in one game. So for that reason, I think you're fine. Absolutely fine. Double stacking the running back chalk and just getting unique with your one quarterback, specifically for me, quarterback, double stack and bring back lineup.
0: I'm with you. I'm with you. Now, guys, we have tons of free stuff. At awesome. I want to tell you about a little bit of it. We have free content every single day. It varies today. NFL showdown rankings, big game tonight. So check that out. There's a lot of injury news in that game, a pretty, I think really interesting showdown slate overall with uh, really tough decisions to make. There's also the awesome NFL DFS, big board UFC pro plays. That's all free along with arguably my favorite tool at awesome. If you are a better, the odd shopper tool is phenomenal. It lets you literally go in there, search lines, totals, player props, whatever you would like in betting markets across the popular books. Find the best price. Extremely important. Saves you a ton of time. Not only that, but it's free. You can set alerts, let you know when bets hit a certain price. You can sign up there to track your own bets. Helps you just overall keeping track of everything. I personally love it. It's oddshopper.osmo.com. And again, that is a free tool. Check it out. One of the best things we have to offer. And of course, hit that thumbs up button for Kyle and myself. As we roll through the tight end position, my favorite on a week to week basis. In the first question, I think we have to look when we when we approach the tight end position is do we have George Kittle? Do we have Travis Kelsey? Do we have Darren Waller this week? We have one of the three. And of course, because of that, Darren Waller comes in as the most popular tight end. I think you and I both could have guessed this. The question every single week is, do we eat this ownership with Waller or do we completely punt on FanDuel specifically? Very, very different than DraftKings. The pricing is much tighter. The minimum price tight end is closer to the most expensive tight end drastically than on DraftKings that leads me more often than not to pay up to that middle range, which is something I seldom do on DraftKings. How are you
1: approaching tight ends? I think you can be comfortable playing the Darren Waller chalk in specific lineups, especially because one, I think you should probably look to correlate him with the Jerry Judy, which could end up being not that popular. And two, I think because, you know, we talked about it all show, if you're fading the right plays, or if you're fading basically any of the, the highly owned plays, you can get chalky elsewhere. It's about the overall roster construction you build, not just do I play this one play or do I not play this one play? So in my lineups where I play like a Justin Herbert stack, I can do whatever the hell else I want because I'm not playing any of the Buffalo, Arizona game. Now, if you and I understand why you would would do this, it's a great game. If you want to play Josh Allen, Stephon Diggs and, you know, run it back with DeAndre Hopkins, you've already jammed in one cheap running back. Maybe you faded Mike Davis. I still think at that point, you're probably looking to build a unique correlation somewhere else with like, I don't know, like a Dallas Goddard sterling shepherd or something do whatever you want but i think it just depends on the build of your roster because i'm probably getting very contrarian with my quarterback double stack and run backs. yeah i can play darren waller and i can still even correlate it with you know jerry judy or whomever so waller is fine and it's funny we do have this like flow chart of like the first box is travis kelsey on the slate if so play him if not is george kittle on the slate now there's an x through mark andrews because he's not good anymore or something now we're down to darren waller I think if you're not going up to Darren Waller, there are some interesting plays. Like I actually don't really trust the chalk right now outside of Darren Waller. Like I don't think Noah Fant is in this smash spot where he should be the number two most popular tight end. Austin Hooper is simply like uh, the leader of a committee by tight end on a team that only wants to run the football and is at home. Like how do you feel about the number two, three, and even Mike Gesicki? There's a tier break, but Mike Gesicki as the number four highest owned tight end. My, I don't know who else it would be. I mean, I have my opinion on who it should
0: be, who is somehow not in the top five. I think you can guess who it is, but, oh yeah, <laughs> but who, like, who are we looking at that we want to play over these guys? I think it's, it's very thin, very fast at tight end
1: no 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 you know who it is and you've alluded to him you jam in hunter henry you keep playing hunter henry who has at least seven targets in six of eight games he plays for i mean the way he's playing justin herbert is playing like one of the you know five or seven best quarterbacks in the nfl hunter henry essentially in every down tight end getting a lot of volume you just keep jamming in hunter henry and especially when he's going to be low owned like imagine playing mike who's losing like losing reps to durham Smythe and adam shaheen over hunter henry who although like sure i guess you could say he's technically losing reps to donald parham that is very exceedingly rare it is more just the random one-off touchdowns that we see that make us think hunter henry is not this stud tight end his volume still indicates he is and now i can get him as outside the top five owned and our top three one of our top three values i believe I- i'm going back to hunter henry we keep doing this
0: And yeah i can't quit him and it's because of all the <laughs> reasons you mentioned he just has one of four total tight ends excuse me touchdowns thrown to tight ends so, I'll continue to go back to Hunter Henry. He's my favorite play. I, I do prefer him over a heavily owned Noah fan, Austin Hooper, even Mike Jasicki. I'm not sure why he's up there. But, you know, as far as some of the other tight end plays, someone I, I do have a little bit of interest in, if we're getting to that mid price range, is Dallas Goddard. It's mainly based on our priors with Goddard. The offense has been largely in, sh- in shambles, but I think this is a guy you like a lot too. Dallas Goddard, when he is right, He's arguably their number one pass catcher overall. So we're getting him at 2.4% ownership. I'm comfortable just playing him as a one-off. That's not really
1: a game I want to stack. Is that something you would do? Yeah, I think it's okay, especially at tight end where you might not, you might just be looking to get off the chalk. You don't necessarily have to correlate every single play in your lineup, especially if you've already just built in some leverage by fading away the, you know, Austin Hooper chalk or whatever it may be. And Dallas Goddard outside of Hunter Henry would probably be my number two leverage play at tight end, simply because like you said, our priors like are that one, he's talented because he was efficient last year in a smaller role. And then or two, that he should see a larger role than we've expected in recent, like you know, in recent history, because in weeks one and two, he led the team, he led the Eagles in targets, receptions, and receiving yards. He was operating for a brief shining moment as the team's number one receiver. Even if he comes back and more splits that number one receiver role with like a, a Travis Fulgham, that's certainly okay. Cause you're not saying like Austin Hooper or Mike Goseki are gonna be number one receivers. They might be number three receivers. So I think you lock in at least as much volume as those guys with the Dallas Goddard. And you do it at sub 3% ownership.
0: I agree with you. I like that quite a bit. And we have to talk about punts at this position too. Goddard and Henry technically don't qualify as pure punts on FanDuel. We're really looking for players below that 5k mark. And we've seen this be viable across platforms, not specifically on FanDuel, but on slates where we are lacking Travis Kelsey. We are lacking George Kittle, sometimes just punting all the way down. And, you know, you might take a zero, We've seen, I mean, early in the year before Robert Tunyon had a significant role, he took a zero and some teams had some very good profitable weeks, even with that zero in their lineup. Now, a guy like Gerald Everett, who I want to highlight for LA, of course, and I think the second premier shootout of the week is coming in sub 1% owned. He's 4,500 on Fandle, so he certainly fits that pure punt mold at tight end. He's been running more routes, playing more snaps than Tyler Higby, And we know when he's on the field, he's a receiving specific tight end, similar to uh like Irv Smith, if you want to liken him to another role, a similar situation where they run dual tight ends, but they have one specific receiver for that reason. I think you can play Gerald Everett just as a complete punt play sub 1% owned. You get access to one of the best games on the slate. Is that something you're comfortable doing?
1: Yeah, I would only play, play Everett in my Russell Wilson or Jared Goff stacks. Like he's, he's fine as the run back to probably one of a double run back specifically in a Russell Wilson lineup, which is like largely just a large field tournament thing, but it is definitely a viable strategy, the double run back, especially when you only need like, like, you know, 30 yards and a touchdown to have a okay Irv Smith or Irv Smith an okay Gerald Everett game. So I think he is specifically used as correlation for me. But because he does correlate with the game that I want to target the most, I will absolutely have some Gerald Everett. Not a ton. I still think the two receivers on his team are obviously better plays, even adjusting for, you know, Gerald Everett's price. But he won't be out of my player pool, despite like almost every other tight end below 5K being outside of my player pool. Logan Thomas is kind of the same thing. I think he serves a larger role within a, a far worse offense. So at 4900, he is one of our like only decent values below 5K but he doesn't correlate as well with anything I'm super interested in. Like maybe I could run him back with the DeAndre Swift, but I think that correlation is modest at best. And it's not like I'm super into DeAndre Swift anyways. I just think he's like an interesting leverage play. So Everett, because he fits so much better into the construction of my actual lineups and how he fits in with my Russell Wilson and Jared Goff builds. He's really the only punt play I'm actually excited to play this week. All right, it's time for
0: our favorite segment of the show. It is the tight end that Kyle decides to flamethrow because they are too owned and too expensive on FanDuel. So Kyle,
1: what do you have for me this week? Who is it? So it's not Darren Waller. Darren Waller is actually good and gets a lot of work. And it's not Noah Fant because he's good and gets a decent amount of work. It's Austin Hooper and Mike Gusecki. Both of these guys are committee tight ends. Mike Gusecki, hardly even the number one tight end at this point, is these two guys that I'm totally comfortable fading with. I don't love Noah Fant's ownership, but he does project to see a lot of work. I know last week he got three targets, but he briefly, actually not briefly, he exited for a few drives that game and came back. I think when he's healthy and now they have no Albert O as a backup, he should see a lot of work. So I get why you play Fant and Waller. You lock in more work than most other tight ends. I have no clue why you play Austin Hooper and Mike Gusecki. Just play Hunter Henry over these guys.
0: I'm with you on that. Now let's talk about some stacks that we think have some equity to get out of here. We've named a few already. You know, one of my favorites is still this Tampa Bay stack. If we just want to look at this game environment overall, Tampa Bay is favored by five and a half points. It's sitting with a 50 and a half point total. So we're looking at, you know, a little less value than the Arizona Buffalo game than this Seattle LA game, but still I like games with totals above 50 points, two explosive offenses. I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility that this game shoots out. We want to start looking at, you know, tom brady to his pass catchers there's a very decent chance i think that this game could go over the total is there one that you like in particular
1: yeah so i think the the carolina side of that is just uh, just as good because i think it'll be similarly low owned and i like having a little more certainty in my stacking but i think that's just working on a game that we both think are, are incredibly advantageous to target our top stacks tool has the carolina stack as one of the biggest mismatches in terms of how people view it versus its chances of hitting I'm going to just go with the bread and butter. We've talked about it. I'm going to go with Seattle. I think on the other side though, Jared Goff as a team that if they do go down, which that's like, that's the, the scenario you're playing for is that they take an early deficit. you talked about it at the beginning. I won't reiterate it too much, but Sean McVay wants to run the ball, but he's not stupid. He knows that when he's losing, he has to play fast and he has to pass a lot. So for that reason, it would set up that if Jared Goff takes an early deficit, he becomes a great stacking option and there's really only two receivers you consider playing too much i guess you could throw josh reynolds in there but i think his role is dwarfed by cooper cup and robert woods and then the tight end so i think the stacking options are quite clear and the game environment sets up to be incredible so i like that as the most contrarian i'd probably go whereas i think the russell wilson stacks will not be unowned but they still give you a ton of leverage off the obvious plays
0: yeah it's really interesting to take a look at the top stacks tool carolina you're getting a ton of leverage there just because the quarterback ownership with Teddy Bridgewater sitting at two percent, and now it, I I said I like the Tampa Bay side of this stack too. There's no reason you can't shout out Teddy Bridgewater, DJ Moore, or you know do a, a little a mini stack with Mike Davis and Chris Godwin on the other side and add some correlation in there. Then you avoid some of the Tom Brady news too. One that really struck me is when you you highlighted it's Seattle with the quarterback ownership coming in six sub six percent. Now, the chance of that being the top stack tool are a little bit higher, still providing some value in that particular game. Same thing with the LA Rams. Both of those stacks are providing a lot of value based on our top stacks tool. But what I want to get your take on before we head out of here is Green Bay Jacksonville. I think some of this is driven by the implied team total. If we're running full game stacks of Green Bay, I think that could be a way to provide leverage and still play Devontae Adams. Because Aaron Rodgers isn't egregiously owned, he's the third highest owned quarterback but it's still just 11%, nothing, nothing drastic. If you pair him with maybe an Alan Lazard, assuming he comes back, maybe uh Robert Tunyon, you could be very contrarian. My question to you is, is that viable? And then who do we look to on Jacksonville for potential runback?
1: Yeah. So I think it's absolutely viable. I think, especially when you look at the ownership of Devontae Adams, you're probably at an advantage if you're playing an Aaron Rodgers, obviously, because that's how correlation works. But specifically because the ownership on Devontae Adams so much dwarfs the ownership on Aaron Rodgers, and Rodgers also gives you leverage off of the Arizona and Buffalo guys that every time Devontae Adams in your lineup – scores a touchdown if he scores three of them you gain more against the field versus all of the lineups that played Devontae Adams that didn't play Aaron Rodgers so I think that is certainly okay to do and I will have some of that just because again I'm targeting all of the games that are not Arizona Buffalo to to get to the run back options or not the run back to get to the secondary piece of this team I think Tunyon's okay but he has kind of been phased largely out of this offense given that Devontae Adams has come back and that should be expected everyone gets phased out of the offense when Devontae Adams is in the offense I would say mostly I would look to Marquez Valdez-Scantling if Alan Lazard doesn't play. Assuming Lazard does play, we'll have to see if we get like practice reports on if he'll be limited or not. But if he does play, I simply think he's probably better than Marquez Valdez-Scantling, who outside of one big week has kind of failed to capitalize on a pretty significant role under Aaron Rodgers. So I'd look to Alan Lazard. I think you could still make the argument for Marquez Valdez-Scantling, though. Tanyan probably more of a, a... be really like large field dart throw just because I don't think his role, I think he has the, the least viable role of all these guys.
0: I agree with you. I'm just trying to think of you know passing options in this Green Bay offense that are viable. Some people in the chat really like James Robinson. I, I think that actually could make some sense just because yeah, James yeah. Robinson's role is locked in. So even if Jacksonville gets down a little bit, James Robinson still sees significant work. So I I don't hate that. As far as bold calls before we head out of here, I think you guys know where I'm going. I love the Chris Godwin stack. I'll stack him with Tom Brady. And to be contrarian, I will play some DJ Moore over Robbie Anderson. Really get that contrarian pass game. Who is your bold stack
1: of the week? Yeah, so I'm going to go with the game. I have talked up a ton, but I'm going to steal your Gerald Everett. I'm going to go with you stack Cooper Cup, Gerald Everett, and Jared Goff. You run it back with either Metcalf or Lockett. I guess I'll give the slight lean to Metcalf because of them sweet, sweet air yards. And you kill all of these bad men, Arizona Buffalo. Those are the bad guys on this slate. I agree with you. I
0: like that stack a lot. Before we head out of here, guys, we have shows all day, all the time at Osmo. Tonight, we have Live Before Lock with our very own Kyle Dvorak. Kyle, what time can they find you? Uh, What is this? Is this an 8.20 game? That means we'll be on at 7.20. It is Eastern time, and of Of course, course, it is a very specific game you want to target. Figure out who you are going to play on Indianapolis tonight. I need to watch that and figure out who I'm going to play. It is a tough decision to make. We also have a podcast network. If you ever miss these shows live and don't just want to keep YouTube open on your phone, podcast anywhere you can find them we are there otherwise thank you for watching the FanDuel specific strategy so hit that thumbs up button before we head out I'm your host Matt Gajeski on Twitter at Matt underscore gajeski. he is Kyle Dvorak at Kyle tweets here we will catch you guys again next week